Hey, Beltway Park, I am so excited about today. Uh, sharing with us today is Dr. Don Finto, who over 30 years ago, by God's grace, was able to become a spiritual father in my life and really a spiritual father of our church. He is one of our elder advisors, but for two and a half decades, he's been imparting all these things that God has placed in his life. I mean, this is a man that, believe it or not, you're gonna, you're gonna be amazed, he's actually in his early 90s. He is still running hard after Jesus. It's how I want to finish the race. He has so many things he could share, but I've asked him to share one specific thing because of our heart for the nations of the earth, our heart to see God do a work among the lost people, not only in the world, but in our region, I wanted him to share about one key that normally we don't see. It's actually tied to God's work and his promises among the Jewish people. Really what God wants to do among Israel is the key to unlocking revival in our region around the world. And I know that seems kind of out there, but I promise you it's in the scripture and there's no one better on planet earth, in my opinion, to unlock that for us than Don Finto. So I want you to get your hearts ready and I want you to get your minds ready. I know you're gonna receive something special today. So what I want you to do, Beltway Park, all campuses, even if you're online, would you do this for me? Would you put your hands together? Would you give him a shout? And let's welcome Dr. Don Fento to Beltway Park today. We love being with you. Uh, Todd McDowell sitting up in the front row and we've walked together for like 15 something years now. And Rachel, we, we got, uh, We've got these out on the tables. We really like you to pick them up because you're so much a part of us. You've helped do this. It's all about, uh, we have students right now that have been in Egypt and Jordan. They're right now in Northern Iraq and we'll have another training school in August. And I was sitting over there thinking really, I mean, this is, I don't get this often, but I really sensed, I, I really believe there are probably some young people here that are supposed to be part of our program in August next year. So I really want you to check it out because uh, I, I, we really believe that we're in the front line of what God is doing at Arrow. We, we obviously have the Israel piece. We weren't able to go to Israel last year because of the pandemic. We will be able to go next year. The, it's beginning to open up. We, we have a group going in in August, and some of you might want to go with us. We, we go with the Messianic movements. We, we go uh, service Holocaust survivors. I mean, we connect with them, and, uh, which is something that a lot of groups don't do. But anyway, we're just grateful, so pick one of these up. We don't want to take any of them home. There are two of the tables there, so go back and pick those up. We'd really like for you to do that. It's just, thanks, worship team. I mean, I love the way you lift up Jesus. And uh, this is just, it's, it's so good to be with you. And so, so, yes, I'm going to do the best I can. At I, I've been walking this with this whole Israel vision uh, since the Jesus movement. So I've got a lot of stuff packed inside of me and uh, I'll try to slow down as much as I can and because sometimes I get excited and just uh, try to put too much in. But, uh, but anyway, I, I pray. I just thank you that this church has this. And by the way, if you don't have this, I would love to give everybody one, but this is the new version of the your people should be my people that uh, and, and the reason why I'd like for you to see this is because there's, there's the, the second chapter is talked about the greater riches world revival based on Romans 11:12, which says if Jewish transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? So we believe there's a greater riches revival that breaks in when the church starts really paying attention and loving Israel. 
And the reason why this is important because at the end of every chapter, somebody responds to that. And in the Greater Riches chapter, your pastor, David McQueen, responded to it. There's about two pages in here that tells about when he became pastor of Beltway Church. And he called me because I had known him since college days and wanted to travel with me. And I said, okay, why don't you come go with me to the Messianic Jewish Alliance that I'm going to in Philadelphia, in, in Pennsylvania. And he inside, so he says, basically he had no clue what the whole Israel thing was with me, but he was willing to tolerate my Israel peace in order to travel with me. So when he came to Nashville, I had the manuscript copy of Your People Shall Be My People, and I gave it to him, and I said, why don't you read some of this, and you'll know what we're getting into. So he says, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but anyway, he says, uh, he starts getting a red pencil and reading my manuscript, thinking I want him to critique it, although it was already at the publisher. And, uh, and we got up, and, uh, and he got up on our flight, and I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm getting my Bible. I think you've misquoted a scripture. And, and then he said, he said that I smiled knowingly because I knew that I hadn't, but it was Romans 11, 12. And he read it and almost turned pale. He said, I have read this in Greek. I have taught Romans. I have never seen this verse. And it's the verse that I just quoted. How much greater riches will come when, when we... You know, when Israel, you know, when we really understand and, and, and love Israel. And so anyway, so I just, I, I want to, I want everybody in this house. I know want, I want all of Abilene. I want all the colleges. I want all the Christian colleges. I believe it's really important that we understand God's heart for Israel. Because the, God is going to fight. I mean, Zechariah 14 talks about a time when Jesus is coming back. His feet will touch the Mount of Olives. And the reason he's coming back is because all the nations have turned against Jerusalem. And he comes back to fight for it. And that's when he establishes his earthly reign, according to Zechariah 14. But anyway, I just, I just, I want you to get this. I want all of us to get this and walk in it. So I'm going to, I'm going to do the best I can just to pull some of these things together. But I, want, I just want to say, please read the book. And, and by the way, whoever did, the, whoever did this thing, put this together, be the people. I don't have a copy of it. But, I mean, it's got all the scriptures, basically. And I just go read the scripture and believe the scripture. And if I say anything today that's against the scripture, don't believe me. But if you read the scripture and it says what I said, said it, believe it and let it change your life. And uh, I will say that the first scripture that really started grabbing my heart in those things, one of the first ones, was out of Luke 21, and that's in your sheet there. And I was teaching a group of, see, I was a group of, teaching a group of what we call Jesus freaks. They were the hippies that had turned toward Jesus, and there was a disproportionate number of them that were Jewish, and they were part of my flock at Belmont Church, and that's how I got into this. But I was teaching through Luke, and I got to Luke 21, and I was screaming to the Lord for revelation because I didn't think I understood a lot of it. And on that day, here's the revelation that I got. Luke 21, 20 says that when you see Jerusalem surrounded by the enemies, 
you'll know that her desolation is newer, is, is coming. Well, that happened in 66 to 70 AD when the Romans surrounded Jerusalem and destroyed the temple in 70 AD. So I, I, I thought, okay, I understand that. Then I go over to verse 24, and verse 24 says that the Jewish people will be scattered to all the nations as prisoners to all the nations, and get this, Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is over. Now let me just, and, and, and I, I got it those years back. Jerusalem was trodden down by the Gentiles from 586 B.C. until 1967. The sovereign state of Israel did not have control of Jerusalem without being occupied from 586 B.C. till 1967. So I believe the time of the Gentiles ended in 1967. Now, how do I mean by that? The early church was totally Jewish, okay? Those on Pentecost were Jewish. And then Cornelius came in, and for a season you had Jews and Gentiles together. But then, around the third century, the church turned so against the Jewish people, and they told them they could, that the church and the synagogue both said that if a Jew becomes a believer in Jesus, he's no longer a Jew. How absurd. If a Japanese becomes a believer, he's no longer Japanese. I mean, that's absurd. But the church and the synagogue both said that. And so the church required, began to require Jewish people not to observe Sabbath, not to bar mitzvah about mitzvah their sons and daughters, not to circumcise their sons, not to observe the feast, give up all your Jewishness. And sometimes they were forced to eat pork in front of Christians that proved they weren't Jewish anymore. And so for 18 centuries, that's what happened. But something different happened in 1967 when, this, when the Jewish people, I believe there were probably a couple hundred thousand or more Jewish people who came to faith since 1967 in, in, in the United States. And, and so that, I understood that. Then... I go to Luke 21, 28, which says, when you see these things beginning to take place, well, I have seen them begin to take place. Stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is near. So I believe that's God's way of saying that we're in the time of the Lord's return. Now you say, oh, hold on now, Fento. Jesus said we wouldn't know the day or the hour. I didn't say we knew the day or the hour. I said we're in the season. Because in the same passage in Matthew 24, where Jesus says nobody knows the day's hour, he said it'll be like the times of Noah. Well, think with me for a moment. In the times of Noah, did Noah know the season when the flood was coming? And the answer is yes. Why? Because, go read it. He had the ark built, and the animals started coming to him. He didn't go out looking for them. They started coming to him. Hello? He knows the season. Did he know the day or the hour? No. 
So we're not to know the day or the hour, but we know the season. And we're living in the season. Paul does a similar thing in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, where he says, you know that the, the, the coming of the Lord is going to be like a thief in the night. But he says, go read it. I think it's verse 4 of chapter 5. But he says, but you are not in doubt so that the, the Lord comes to you like a thief in the night. Because you're going to be expecting him. And then he says, it will be like the days of a pregnant woman. Well, let me ask you a question. Does a pregnant woman know the season when her child is going to be born? And the answer is yes. Does she know the day or the hour? And the answer is no. Even if labor pains have already begun, that's how it's going to be. So we're living in the season of the Lord's return, and this whole Israel thing is a part of it. But then he says in Luke 21, verse 32, he says, this generation won't pass away till all these things happen. I think that it can't mean the generation that he was talking to because they long since are gone. So I think it means us, some of us were alive in 1967 and that not all of us who were alive in 67 are going to die before the Lord's return. It seems that way because he says this generation. Well, how long is a generation? The longest biblical generation is 100 years because Israel was in Egypt for 400 years and God says they were coming back in the fourth generation. So now, don't go out from here and say, oh, Fento said Jesus is coming back in six or seven. I'm saying that seems like a strong possibility to me. I'm not trying to be ironclad in all of that. All right. So now let's just look at, let's look at two or three things. One, that biblically God described our time when Jewish people were returning to their land and he's describing our time when Jewish people start coming to faith and he's describing what happens when Gentiles love Jewish people and release a greater riches over the entire world. So the first thing, our time is described and the, and the passage that I would always go to is Isaiah 43 verses 5 and 6. Again, that's in your, in your bulletin. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, don't hold them back. This is the first time in history that Jewish people have gone back to Israel from all four directions. In earlier centuries, they came back from Egypt, that's south. They came back from Babylon, that's east. Never before our day have Jewish people come back from the north and the west to their land. That scripture is describing us. And as a result of that, well, well, there, the church didn't understand this, but there were people that did. The Geneva Bible in 1516 remarks, they see the fact that the Jews that now remain in death that they and the Gentiles shall embrace Christ. Geneva Bible, 1560. They understood that because they read the book. Jonathan Edwards understood it because he read the book. Charles Spurgeon, I won't quote all these. I'll, do, I'll go to Charles Spurgeon. He says that we don't attach enough significance 
to the restoration of the Jews. We don't think enough of it. But he says that the day will come when the Jews, who were the first apostles to the Gentiles, that they will be gathered in again. Charles Spurgeon sees that in 1844. The church didn't believe it, but Charles Spurgeon saw it. And so now some of, some of the people that I know have, have believed this. There was a guy named Shel Schoberg from Sweden who read that Isaiah passage, I'll say to the north, give them up. And he understood that the, the million or so Russian Jews that were not being released to go back to Israel were one day going back because that scripture said they would. So he took a group of intercessors to Russia and they marched around Red Square in the year 1982 and they said things like this. He describes it. Give up, give up, you Pharaoh of Soviet Russian. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we commend you, you wild beast of the Soviet Union. Let the people of God go, for the time has come for God's people to leave the Soviet Union. He said that, they said that in 1982. Eight months later, Brezhnev died, and within 10 years, the Russian Jews were released, and one million Russian Jews went back to Israel. Now, Russian is one of the major languages of Israel, and we know many of the Russian believers that are there. Well, my, one of my friends, Kurt Landry, and a guy named Steve Lytle read Isaiah 60, verse 8, which says, who are these flying along like clouds, like doves to their nests? And when I was a kid, somebody told me that the Bible talked about airplanes and I thought that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. But you know what? The Bible talked about airplanes. Who are these flying like clouds? And so they said, oh, let's go. And so they went to Seattle and leased an airplane to help bring them back. And then they read the next verse, which described ships from Tarshish. And so they thought, oh, we need a ship. They can bring more things. So they went to Greece and talked to a a shipping magnate, and he said, well, we don't have a ship for you. And they said, yes, you do, because the Lord told us you did. He said, I'll tell you what, I've got one ship, maybe you could use, but it's in Spain. And they said, that's the one we want. Because go look it up, Tarsus is thought to be Spain. So they were living, see, do you, do you get what I'm doing? I just want you to live in scripture. I believe the word of God more than I believe what I see. When, puts a prom when God puts a promise down, it's going to happen. I don't care what you think it's going to happen. I don't care what the world thinks. I don't care what I see. If I see the opposite, it's going to happen. And so that's, that's why we're... So now, so Jewish people returning to the land. But now listen to these verses. Here are just three of them that I live in. And <laughs> I was telling this, and I was telling this to some of the elders, I... I honestly, you remember the story of Simeon in Luke, the second chapter, where Simeon, when Jesus is brought into the temple, where Joseph and Mary brought him in the temple, and Simeon goes over and holds the baby, and he says, oh, now, Lord, you, allow, you may allow your servant to come, because my eyes have seen your consolation, the glory to the Gentile, the light, the light to the Jews and Gentiles. Simeon had been told that he would still be alive to see the Lord's Messiah. I've been told 
that the Jewish people are coming to faith. I've been told by scripture. And I'm, I'm beginning to wonder if I'm not a modern day Simeon. And that's one of the reasons that God, God's holding me alive. And I may, it, then when I see all of Israel say, we'll get to that, that I'll say, okay, now, you can, you can let me go now because I've seen what I saw. And I want you to see what I've seen that we haven't seen yet. You get it? So anyway, listen to these verses, Hosea 3. The Israelites will live many days without king or prince. They haven't had a king or prince since 586 B.C. when Zedekiah was taken to Babylon. They will live many days without a sacrifice. They haven't had a sacrifice since 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed. And then afterward, they will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. They, Israel, I'm going to see it. And then look at Isaiah the 6th chapter, or let me just paraphrase some of Isaiah 6, verses 8 through about 13. Isaiah hears a voice, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And he says, here am I, send me. And God says, go tell Israel her eyes are going to be closed and her heart hardened. Now, I think Isaiah... I, I could put myself in Isaiah's shoes, and I think he probably thought, oh, my God, I wouldn't have volunteered if I'd known you were going to tell me to do that. Go tell my people that her eyes are going to be closed. But all the scripture says is he says, how long, Lord? And the Lord answers him. Now, pay attention. This is how long Israel's eyes are closed. Until the land is totally devastated, the cities are ruined without inhabitant, the houses are deserted, the fields are ruined and ravaged. That's how long? Let me ask you a question. Are the fields deserted and ruined today? Are the houses deserted? Are the fields ruined? Are they without inhabitant? No. Therefore, it's time now for Jewish people to come to faith. That's why I think it could happen quickly. I mean, the Jesus movement where those hundreds of thousands came happened, swept in here through quickly, started in 1967. The Russian Jews that were in the, you know, that were freed from communism when they started having, when Jonathan Bernie started having these festivals, again, tens and tens of thousands of them, 100,000 of them probably came to the Lord, and many of them went back to Israel. So, we see these and we pray these things. And Jesus refers to this scripture and Paul refers to it even in Romans 11 to explain why the nation of Israel as a whole at that time did not receive him. But here's the other one. The other scripture we go to is, this is one I, I live in. Ezekiel the 36th chapter, verse about 24 and following. That says, God says through Ezekiel, I'm going to gather you from all the countries and any time it says plurality of countries, it's our day. From all the countries, there, there are Russian Jews, there are African Jews, there are Ethiopian Jews, Chinese Jews, uh, Indian Jews, they're all over the world. I'm going to gather you back and over a hundred nations inside Israel. I love to just sit down on Ben Yehuda Street in Jerusalem and watch the people go by. Because they're just people from all the nations, hundred nations. And I'm going to gather you and I'm going to bring you back to your own land. And then he says, 
I'm going to take out of you a heart of stone and put in you a heart of flesh, and I'm going to put my spirit in you, and I'm going to move you to do my will. My prayer, and you can join me if you want to, is, God, you've brought them back for the countries, but you haven't yet put your spirit in them to move them. Oh, I mean, there are 20,000 of them that are believers in Yeshua, but it's time for you to do this. And so what we do is we've got to live this and pray this and bring this in. And it's so interesting how God gets the hearts of these people. I just want to give you a, a, a couple of illustrations. Some of them are in the, in the book, by the way. There's a really wonderful illustration in one of our friends, Norma Sarvis, in this book who was written in Alabama as a conservative Jew. But anyway, I won't, but just she, two scriptures. One, because she didn't even know anything, but she heard one day say something about first to the Jew. She didn't know the New Testament said anything about Jews. And then she heard somebody say, because she was, you know, she didn't want to leave her Jewish relatives and believe in Jesus. And then she heard somebody quote the passage that says, if you love father and mother more than you. These two scriptures, only she gave her life to the Lord after hearing those two scriptures. But then there, another funny one to me is, is a guy named Shmuel Saran in Israel. And he came to the Lord through reading Matthew 1, 1. Hello. Anybody out there come to the Lord through Matthew 1, 1? I don't see any hand raised. You know what Matthew 1, 1 says? The book of the genealogies of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. And Shmuel never had read the New Testament. All of a sudden he stops and he says, my God, he's Jewish. <laughs> and that's how he came to the Lord. So this is, I mean, it's, 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 it's wonderful the way the Lord has done this. And then I'll give you these two passages that have been transforming to Pastor David, to Todd up here. This is, how, this is why we're walking together. Romans eleven twelve, 12 is why we're walking together. And, and here's what Paul says. He says, if their transgression means riches for the world, they didn't receive him, means riches for the Gentiles. If their loss, if their transgression means riches for the world, their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? Just watch out. Uh, the watch out's mine. That's not in scripture. And then, <laughs> and then he says, verse 15, if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And, and that's what these, these that's, that's what Jonathan Edwards and Charles Spurgeon and all of them talked about. Here, here's the way Jonathan Edwards put it. Though we did not know the time in which this return of Israel will come to pass, this much we know from Scripture that it will be before the glory of the Gentile part of the church shall be fully accomplished because it is said that their coming in is life from the dead to the Gentiles. And so there, and then Todd and I and our Caleb told me, we really do want you to know what's going on. We really do want you to pick these up because we want you to know what's going on with, with our Caleb Global now. But, but it's just the, the, the things that, that we're seeing, uh, we, we finally, I didn't grab hold of this early on, but in Isaiah, the 19th chapter, there is the, 
prophecy that Egypt, which has one been one of Israel's enemies, and Assyria, and they were in Assyrian captivity, you know, which is today Iraq, Iran, Syria, that area, that they are going to be a blessing in the whole world. And the, this Isaiah 19 passage says that the Egyptians and the Assyrians will worship the Lord. The Egypt, the, there will be a highway, and the Assyrians will go to Egypt, and the Egyptians will go to Assyria, and the Egyptians and the Assyrians will worship the Lord together. We've got these teams up there right now in Assyria, and there's a revival in Assyria, and there's a revival in Egypt, and we're getting acquainted with these people because we go there back and forth. Todd and I were in, have been in Egypt and Assyria this year, and we're students there and staff there because we're walking prophecy in our generation. And you're a part of that because you're, you've, been, you've been a part of us. But I also want, yes, those, those young people that had their hearts stirred when I said you're supposed to be one of our students, come on, check us out. Because we believe we're supposed to raise up people that are going to be going to these places. And so then he says that in that day, Israel will be the third along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them saying, blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. And so that's the kind of place too that, that we're believing in and, and blessing. Now I want, to give you, I want to give you one more scripture. Well, no, maybe two more scriptures because I, I'm just seeing that I, let me go back to, let me go back to this scripture. Um, one, of the, one of the first scriptures that we see that connects here is when God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, that he was going to be a blessing. He and his descendants were going to be a blessing to the whole world. And he said, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And there's the history of the generation of, the, of nations can bear out that when nations have been a blessing to Israel, they have, they've been thriving. When they turn their back against Israel, something happens. This happened, for example, Spain's navy ruled the world until 1492 when Ferdinand and Isabel turned their backs on the Jews, confiscated their wealth, forced them to convert, killed many of them, and Spain never has been a world power since. Egypt, uh, Israel, uh, excuse me, England, Great Britain, the sun never set on the British Empire because Great Britain was a blessing to the Jewish people until Great Britain turned their back on the Jews and their whole empire dissolved and Great Britain will never be a major world power again. One of the reasons why we have been huge blessed in the United States, we haven't done it perfectly. We didn't do it well during the Second World War. Franklin Delano Roosevelt didn't receive some of the people that, were, that he knew. We didn't bomb those railroads in time. But as a whole, Jewish people have found a home in the U.S. But the day that the United States turns against Israel, we will never again be a world power. And, and I will just, I'll give you this one example. I will curse those who curse you. In the year 2005, our president, a good man, 
George W. agreed with Ariel Sharon, the Prime Minister of Israel, to dislodge 38 miles of Jewish people in the Gaza Strip. They forced them out of their houses. There were 26 synagogues there. They had rose gardens. They were, they were you know, exported roses all over the world. They had all kinds of wonderful houses there. And the Israeli government and George W. was trying to make peace with the Palestinians, so they forced these people out of Gaza Strip. And you know what happened? Katrina was forming and hit our shores a few days after they made that decision. And a few days after they made the decision, Ariel Sharon, the Prime Minister of Israel in the year 2005, went into a coma, and he stayed in that coma for the next nine years before he died. There is a curse when we divide up the land or we turn, when we turn against Israel. And, and the other, the, the, there's one other passage that I want to show you, and that is Romans, the 15th chapter, verse 27, because I didn't see this for a long time. But this passage at the end of Romans says that if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, listen to this, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. See, I, I believe every congregation of believers in the world need to bless Israel. That we need to pray for Israel. We need to have part of, and thank God, Beltway does, we need to have a part of our budget at blessing Israel. Israel and the Jewish people, bringing the gospel to and just blessing the Jewish people. And I would just caution you, when you give to different ministries, though, find out who they are. Because I would encourage you to give to ministries that are not only blessing the Jewish people as a whole, but that are connecting to Messianic believers in the land. Because Galatians 6.10 says, do good to all people, but especially those of the household of faith. And there are many ministries out there that are blessing Israel and they're doing all kinds, but they're not connecting to the Jewish believers in the land. Well, I've said all that, but I want to just, I want to finish by pulling the one chapter out of scripture that I call the forgotten chapter, Romans 11. And I, Romans 11, and there was one time at, at Belmont that I was speaking Romans 11 as a sermon. I would, I would, I don't call it memorizing. I would download it to my personal hard drive, and then I would just speak it as a part of the sermon. And there was one Sunday morning, Joe Rogers, who was the ambassador to France under Reagan, was a part of our fellowship, and I spoke Romans 9 through 11. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't preach my own words. I spoke those, that scripture. He made a beeline for me, came up to me, and he said, for the first time in my life, I understand why Israel is important. I hadn't spoken my words. I had spoken scripture. I just, if you have any doubt about this, read the book. If, you, if you've never been there before, read the book. Find those scriptures that, I, that, that were put in this and just read it. So, so let, let, me just, let me just say this, let me just speak this, these words that are Paul's and Todd's over there I'm, and he's going he's to keep my Bible open so that if I run into a blind spot because I've, I've been doing this for so long but it's just, anyway, anyway, let me just speak it to you, okay? 
And so I asked them, did God reject his people? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant from Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I'm the only one left. They're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I've reserved 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So also at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if it's grace, it's no longer by works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What Israel so earnestly sought, it did not obtain. But the elect did. The others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they could not see, and ears so that they could not hear to this present day. And David says, may their table be a snare and a trap, a retribution to them. May their eyes be darkened so they can't see and their backs bent forever. So again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? I'm talking to you Gentiles. And as much as I'm the apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dew that's, though that's offered as first fruits is holy, the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches are broken off and you, the wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap, share in the nourishing sap of the olive root. Don't boast of those branches. If you do, consider this. You don't support the root. The root supports you. You will say then, well, some of the branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. If God did not spare the natural branches, he'll not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell and kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you'll be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they'll be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you've been cut out of an olive tree that's wild by nature and contrary to nature, we're grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery so that you won't be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, 
the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you, who were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound all people over to disobedience so that he may have mercy upon them all. Ah, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths are past tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.